Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. If you want to be taking your copy of God's Word this morning and turning to the little epistle of Jude at the back of the Bible. Go all the way to the back and take a left. <laughs> the epistle of Jude is, uh, I don't know whether you've ever read it much, but uh, it can be a sort of a, put you in a somber mood to read it. But this morning we're going to talk about having assurance in an age of apostasy. As we look at the little epistle of Jude there. This is the only epistle in the Bible, the only book in the Bible that basically is devoted entirely to apostasy. And the word apostasy simply means an abandonment of belief or a renunciation of belief. And not only is it uh, is an abandonment of, of belief, but it's, it's an abandonment of morals and a breakdown of spirituality and a breakdown of ethics. Most scholars date this little book to about 65 to 70 A.D. The church was relatively young at that time. 35 to 40 years old, but even then, at that young age, the adversary was working against the church. And the false teachers were beginning to creep in. Paul and Peter had both written warning about the coming battle. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first epistle, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes these words to Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That's 1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And then Peter writes a very similar message in his second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Peter writes these words, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. You notice in those two passages, I want to point just a few things out to you before we get started. I see the words deceiving, hypocritical liars, false prophets, destructive heresies, depraved conduct, and bring the way of truth into disrepute and fabricated stories. 
It's all talking about lies. And we know Satan is the father of lies. And so these apostasies coming directly from Satan. It's easy to look around the world today that we live in and see apostasy of all kinds taking place. For the last 30 years or so, and maybe before then, there's been a movement, the, the uh, movement to try to get more gender-neutral terminology in God's Word. There have even been some denominations that have approved of homosexuality and even gone so far as to approve pastors and teachers to let them be living that lifestyle openly, yet appoint them as bishops and pastors. But there seems to be no absolute truth anymore. Churches have gone the way of, as the moral decay of our society has taken place, so many churches have, have bent their way to try to get people to come in. We've got to be more like the world so we don't drive them away. We've got these large financial obligations we've got to meet, so we've got to, we've got to make sure we don't offend anybody. And that's the world we live in today. Amen. It's no wonder that Jesus asked the apostles kind of a rhetorical question in Luke, the 18th chapter and verse 8. Listen to what Jesus' words said. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when He comes? Jesus said that in Luke 18 and verse 8. And we look around and we can see why He asked that question. We would ask the same question of ourselves. When, when the Son of Man comes, will He find us faithful? Will He find us faithful? And that's a question we all have to answer for ourselves. About 10 years ago, I was having a conversation with a pastor that we had had a church meeting and we were, the purpose of the meeting was to try to figure out how to reach people and what, what we needed to do to, to meet the needs of those in the church. My view was that we needed solid biblical preaching. We like to get our, I like to get my toes stepped on every now and then. I don't know about you. And his response blew me out of the water. He said, we can't preach the same way we did 15 or 20 years ago. Now, this was my pastor at the time. He said, we can't preach the same way we did 15 or 20 years ago. And I was so blown away by the answer that he gave, I couldn't say anything. But in my mind, I was screaming foul. I was crying foul in my mind because the Word of God has not changed. God has not changed. Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Now turn with me to Jude. We're going to read this. It's 25 verses. Just bear with me. I, I tried to figure out if I was going to skip over some of it, but I, I think it's going to give the text more meaning if we read all the way through. 25 verses. So just sit tight and we're going to, we're going to make it through. Jude, starting in verse 1. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. 
For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered His people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these He has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the, angel, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's era. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed the only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, just as we open your word this morning, Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds as only you can. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now after having read through Jude, kind of grim there. Grim outlook. Jude writes, though, to these Christians in that day, as, as he writes to us, to encourage us. To encourage us to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to all the saints. You see, nothing has changed. God hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. The way to be saved has not changed. And so those words that he, he wrote 
over 2,000 years ago are still just as relevant today. And I want us to see in this passage this morning how we can contend for the faith that he talks about here and how we can have assurance in this age of apostasy. First thing I want us to notice this morning is as a believer of Christ, we're to realize our position. Look there with me in verse 1, the second half of verse 1. It says, To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. Firstly, we're called. As Christians, we're called. God has called us, not because of any ability that we have or any of our own efforts, but it's His choice. He called us. There's nothing special about us. John 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish. See, salvation is God's idea. It's God's idea. He offers it freely to whoever will. But He gives us free will to choose. He gives us free will to respond. Jesus said in Revelation 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. He's knocking. He's always knocking on the door of our hearts. It's up to us to open and let Him come in. We have that free will. I, as y'all know, I'm in the insurance business, so there's been a lot of times over the years where I've set up an appointment to go see somebody at their home. And I always dislike this time of year when the time changes because it's dark at 5 o'clock. And so you'll drive 25 miles out in the county and you'll walk up and knock on the door. You might hear the TV on until you knock. All of a sudden, shh. There's silence. They won't open the door and let you in. I can't figure that out. But that's the way we are sometimes. We won't open the door. And all of us get calls from telemarketers from time to time and we see on the caller ID who's calling we, we don't answer. We have the Lord calling us each and every day. And it's up to us to answer that call. First, we're called as believers. We're, we're, our position as believers. Next, he says we're loved. We're loved. Listen to Ephesians 2 and verse 4. Because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions because of His great love for us. Listen to Isaiah 54 and verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. His love will not be shaken. God loves us. We're, we're called. We're loved. He won't ever stop loving us. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever stop loving your children? Now, you might find it hard to like them sometimes. You, they need discipline sometimes. But that's what you do as a parent. We don't ever stop loving them. And God never stops loving us once we're in Him. I heard the story of uh, Prince Edward who visited a World War I hospital. There were 36 badly injured soldiers there in that hospital. And so he made his rounds talking to each one. And then they hurriedly started to go to the door. And he said, wait a minute. You said there were 36 people in here. I've only seen 29. And they said, well, Prince Edward, uh, the other seven are, are really badly disfigured. They really, we just, we, don't, we just didn't figure you'd want to see them. He said, oh, no. So they made the rounds, and he spoke to each one, giving them 
the, the gratitude that he had for them and their sacrifice. And then he said, well, you said there were seven more. I've only seen six. Well, Prince, the, the last one is, is really, his, he just has a few hours to live. He's very, very badly burned, and we just don't think. He said, no, I want to see him. So they took him in, and as he stood there giving the, the soldier his, paying his respects and telling him how much he appreciated the sacrifice he had made, tears began to run down his face. And then Prince Edward did something that surprised everyone. He reached down and kissed that man on the cheek. As ugly and disfigured as he was physically, he did that. But you know, God stooped down much, much further to kiss us who are much, much uglier. Because he loves us so much. We're called. We're loved. And lastly, he says, we're kept. If we're a child of God, we're kept. We're preserved. Psalm 37 and verse 28 says these words, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. The word translated there is kept has the meaning of being attended to just with great care and taken care of and guarded closely. We're kept for Him. We're guarded for Him. We're reserved for Him. And here's the best part. He's the one guarding and keeping and reserving. He's doing that. He is reserving us and he, we are kept for Him. As a believer, we're to realize our position. The next thing that Jude tell, tells us is we need to remember. Remember. Look there with me in verse 5. He says, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord, and thus and such, he goes on. He reminds us of God's provision for his people. He reminds us of God's punishment for the wicked. And then later on, he reminds us of the apostles' prophecies. It's good to be reminded of things. How easily we forget. There was a story of a, an older couple, a man and woman, they'd been married for many, many years. And they began to forget things. They began to forget things. And so they went to the doctor to see what they needed to do. And the doctor, after examining them, and said, well, I think it's best if y'all start making little notes. Just make little notes to remind yourself of things that you want to do or that you need to do. So they went home, and the lady said, uh, honey, I think I want a bowl of ice cream. And he gets up and starts to go. He said, well, I thought you might write a note and, and write it down. And He said, I can remember that. So she said, well, I, I not only want the ice cream, I want strawberries on my ice cream, so I think you better write it down. He said, no, I can remember strawberries and ice cream. She said, well, that's not all. I want whipped cream on top, too. And he said, I've got it. Ice cream, strawberries, and whipped cream. So he heads off to the kitchen. Fifteen minutes later, he comes back with a plate of bacon and eggs. And she said, I knew you should have wrote it down. You forgot my toast. <laughs> we forget things so easily. We forget things so easily. And we need to be reminded. And Jude lays it out here for us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He refreshes our memory about God's provision for His people. When He brought them out of Egypt. And then He reminds us of God's punishment of the wicked. He talks about Sodom and Gomorrah there in those verses. He talks about all the 
ungodly things that have taken place and how God punished those people. He says, these men are blemishes at your love feast. They're clouds without rain. They're blown along by the wind. They're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. And then lastly there, he reminds us of the prophecies of the apostles. Look at verse 17. He says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Going back to what we talked about earlier. Both Paul and Peter foretold that this would happen. You see, all this stuff that's going on now, nowadays, we look at it and we shake our heads and think, how much longer will the Lord let this go on? It didn't take him by surprise. It's happening right on time, in his time. And so, because it doesn't take him by surprise, as Christians, it shouldn't take us by surprise either. We shouldn't go around wringing our hands. We should have an assurance in this age of apostasy. Jude says we're to recognize our position as believers. Then he says we're to remember God's providence, His, His provision, remember His punishment, and remember the apostles' prophecies. But lastly, He wants to write to us and tell us to reinforce our faith. Look there in verse 20. It says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up. As a Christian, we can't stand still. We've got to keep growing, learning, moving forward. If we stop, then we're backing up. If we stop growing and learning, we're backing up as a Christian. First thing he tells us to do there to build ourselves up is by prayer. Now prayer is the most deadly weapon we have as a Christian. But it's the least used. I don't pray like I should. I don't pray as, pray as often as I should. It's, the, it's the, the most effective weapon we have against this battle to contend for the faith, yet we don't use it. How much sense does it make if you're walking with your family in the woods and you've got a 12-gauge shotgun with birdshot in it and you get into a pile of rattlesnakes and you don't use it to protect your family? And that's what we do when we, we've got the most powerful tool that we can have is prayer. We don't use it like we ought. Secondly, God's Word. We have the battle plans laid out for us. We know what's going to happen. We know how it's going to happen. And we know how to combat it. Yet we fail to take heed of it. We have the instruction manual right there. I, I don't like putting stuff together. Most men don't like looking at the instructions. It, it drives me insane nowadays because so many of the instructions that you have when you get ready to put something together, they don't have any words. It's just pictures. I can't operate. I have to have the words. I'd rather not have the pictures. So, but most of us men just try to put it together without looking at the instruction manual because we're fixers. And then we usually have to do it over once we get it wrong and get something in the wrong place. God's Word is another way we reinforce our faith. And lastly, he says there to keep ourselves, in verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love. Now, notice here, Jude didn't say keep yourself saved. He's already told us earlier on. He's assured us that we're kept, we're preserved. But he says keep yourself in God's love. So how do we do that? How do we do that? 
1 John 2 and verse 5 says, But if anyone obeys His Word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in Him. The Gospel of John chapter 15 and verse 10 says, Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, If you obey My commands, you'll remain in My love, just as I have obeyed My Father's command and remain in His love. We grow in our love for God when we love what He loves. When we hate what He hates. That's how we abide and keep ourselves in His love. By prayer, by studying His Word, and by loving what God loves. In this age of apostasy, as we see the things going around today, and we want to have assurance in this age, and contend for that faith that was entrusted once for all, First Jude tells us to realize our position as sinners, how we're called, how we're loved, how we're kept. Secondly, he tells us to remember, remember God's provision for His people, His punishment for the wicked, and the prophecies of the apostles. That's what we're to remember. And lastly, we're to reinforce our faith by prayer, by studying God's Word, and staying and abiding in His love. But none of that really matters if we're not first His. If we're not first His, none of that really matters. Look back with me to the first verse of this book. Jude, verse 1. Let me read that again to you. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now some translations say a bondservant. That gives the, the, the uh, interpretation of that is a slave by choice. But I want you to notice something else there that we didn't talk about early on. Jude says he's a brother of James. Now, interesting thing about this James that he speaks of, James was Jesus' half-brother. They had the same mother. And so Jude says he's a brother of James. This Jew that we speak of grew up in the household with Jesus. They had the same mother. He was his half-brother. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to turn there. Matthew 13 and verse 55. <clears throat> Jesus had been speaking there and he, he came to his hometown and he was teaching in the synagogue there and and they start asking questions. In verse 54 it says, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They ask. In verse 55 there, Matthew 13, verse 55. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? This Judas here is Jude that wrote this epistle, according to the scholars. This is the same man. Now, when they translated this, they call him Jude so that we won't get confused with Judas Iscariot. Not very many people name their children Judas anymore for obvious reasons. But we see that this Jude is a half-brother to Jesus. Interesting, he didn't mention that. He says he's a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. I wonder why he didn't mention that. I think it's because he realized that that earthly connection, that earthly relationship didn't matter. What mattered is the relationship he had as a sinner to his Savior. 
You see, these brothers in John the seventh chapter in verse five, none of them believed he was the Messiah until after he had risen. None of them believed him. It tells that in John seven and verse five. While he was there with them on earth, they didn't believe. It wasn't until afterwards that they came to that saving knowledge that he was the one. And we have to come on our own as well. No other relationship matters. A husband's faith can't save his wife. A wife's faith can't save her husband. A parent's faith can't save their children. And children's faith can't save their parents. It has to be personal between you and the Savior. That's what matters. That's what matters. We have to come to Him individually and say, I surrender all, Lord. I surrender all. I heard a story, and I'll close with this. I heard a story of 80 men years ago fighting a fire. They were completely surrounded by the flames. At the risk of his own life, a young pilot got in a small plane and flew across through the flames and the smoke and dropped notes, weighted them down with what he could find in the cockpit. And the notes said, you're completely surrounded by the flames and you're surely going to perish. But there is one way out, a small corridor. And so at the risk of his life, the pilot made three, three more passes, giving that group of 80 men instruction and guidance. They received his notes, they read them, they believed them, they obeyed them, and they were delivered because they received instruction from a higher and wiser source. And that's us. We have God's Word. We have Jesus. That instruction from that higher and wiser source. And it's up to us whether we read it and obey it and believe it and are delivered. Have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Jude writes to us to tell us all this stuff going on today and all the stuff going on back then. If we remember and realize our position, reinforce our faith, and are found in Him, found in Jesus, then we can have assurance in this age of apostasy. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for Your Word, Lord, and so thankful for this, this guidance that we have from, from You, a higher and wiser source. Father, I just pray if there's any need in anyone's life this morning, if they've been, been pricked in heart and they want to come to You, Lord, the altar is always open. Be with us now as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.